Hello and welcome to episode number 469 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and today my guests are Morgan and Isabeau from the Woman's Podcast. They are celebrating three years of podcasting, which is awesome. And their latest exploration of romance has been to look at category. So I thought it would be fun for us to take a deep dive into a brand new category romance. So we all read Awakened by the CEO's Kiss by Therese Beharry. Now, this episode is a mostly low spoiler discussion of the book, but we talk a lot about all the interesting and subversive things that it does. We cover kiss tension, books that give you chest tingles, and a lot more. Now, you can listen if you haven't read the book or if you have, but you might really like it if you haven't tried it yet. So we recommend this book either way. I want to thank Isabeau and Morgan for recording this episode with me. Congrats again on three years of podcasting. And I also want to thank our Patreon community. The Smart Podcast Patreon community makes sure that every episode has a transcript and is accessible to everyone and keeps the show going each and every week. So thank you to the Patreon community for making this transcript and every transcript possible. If you would like to have a look, go to patreon.com slash smart bitches. This podcast is brought to you in part by Pros. Now, most of you have heard me talking about learning to take better care of my hair in the quarantines, and you may have heard me talking about Pros, the world's most personalized hair care. First, there's a quiz, an in-depth hair quiz, which helped me get started. Pros has given over 1 million consultations, and my results created a custom blend that has made my hair softer, my surprising amount of curls more defined, and because I get to choose my own scent, it smells incredible too. Pros also has a review and refine feature that lets me tweak the formula for any reason, like change of hair color, change of location, alas, it is still humid where I am, or change in diet. Now, I cut my hair short after I was fully vaccinated, so I can change the goals for my hair to include more shine and less curl definition, because short hair with lots of curls is a whole other thing. Pros is also a carbon neutral certified B Corp. All their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty-free. And if you're not 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care you've ever had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash trashybooks, that's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash trashybooks for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. This podcast is brought to you in part by Hydrant. Now, I drink a lot of water. It is very important to stay hydrated, and it's easy for me to forget when I'm working or, you know, podcasting. Hydration is not only important for my voice, but it's also tied to improved mood, better focus, and mental clarity. And, you know, water is great, but electrolytes and water hydrate people even faster. And that is where Hydrant comes in. Hydrant is a refreshing drink mix powder made with four key electrolytes, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. It's made with real fruit juice powder and no artificial sweeteners or synthetic colors. No nonsense, all science. Hydrant Sleep is a new bedtime mix carefully formulated to promote restful sleep and hydration. Hydrant Sleep includes melatonin, magnesium, GABA, and chamomile to promote restful, high-quality sleep, which you know I love. Plus, it's backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. You really need to try it for yourself to see what I'm talking about. It tastes incredible and it works great. We have a special deal for listeners to save 20% off your first order 
or subscribe and save 30% on your first subscription order. Go to drinkhydrant.com slash smart or enter promo code smart at checkout. That's D-R-I-N-K-H-Y-D-R-A-N-T.com slash smart and enter promo code smart for 20% off your first order drinkhydrant.com slash smart or promo code smart and save 20%. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast, Hydrant, where water meets wellness. Since you're listening to this show, I think it's safe to say you love listening to podcasts, right? Well, you will find a ton of binge-worthy podcasts, including this one on Amazon Music. Amazon Music has more than 10 million free podcast episodes to listen to. But Amazon Music isn't just for listening to podcasts. They have thousands of music stations and top playlists to stream for free. And no matter what you're listening to, you can go hands-free with Alexa. If you're like me and want your music on demand and ad-free, try Amazon Music Unlimited. That gives you unlimited access to over 75 million songs as well as podcasts, music videos, and more. With Amazon Music Unlimited, you can listen to any song anywhere offline with unlimited skips. I love turning on some of their stations and collections when I'm working or cooking. My favorite this week is Breezy Summer Classics. It has Beach Boys, Otis Redding, Bill Withers, Katrina and the Waves, and the Drifters. I love the Drifters. It's one of my favorite summer sounds. If you've never tried Amazon Music Unlimited, now is a great time. For a limited time, new customers can try Amazon Music Unlimited free for 30 days, no credit card required. Just go to amazon.com slash trashy books. That's amazon.com slash trashy books to try Amazon Music Unlimited free for 30 days. Amazon.com slash trashy books. Renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Terms apply. This podcast is also brought to you by Headspace. If you have tried meditation before and felt like it didn't work, or maybe like you were doing it wrong, have a look at Headspace, especially if mental health is part of your self-care plan this year. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So, whatever the occasion, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has 30-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down meditations that Amanda and their members swear by. And for parents? Headspace has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Since I started using Headspace, my day goes a little easier when I start with meditation, and I've meditated nearly every morning. I feel pretty great. I also love the focus music collection in the Headspace app. I love the variety, and I love the curated playlists. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash Sarah. That's headspace.com slash Sarah for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash Sarah today. I love doing an episode where I get to talk to podcasters about a book in depth. So let's get started on with my conversation with Morgan and Isabeau about Awakened by the CEO's Kiss. I'm Morgan. I am one of two co-hosts for the podcast Womance. 
uh, where each week we take apart a different romance novel. Um, I'm based in Chicago. I don't know if there's any other fun facts. I feel like that's the whole of my identity. I mean, this is going to be audio only, but you do have an absolutely (laughs) fabulous. First of all, your glasses are fabulous. Second of all, you have an incredible collection of full on mass market romance classics behind you. And I'm kind of I'm like kind of peeking over your shoulder. Like, I know that one. I know that one. You got a really good collection going on back there. I, yeah, I do. I, I love to collect them. Love a good clench cover. So I tend to buy books that I don't even read. I just like to possess the like object itself. Oh, I get it. I used to go to old used bookstores and look at the romances and look for particular authors because they had the most off the wall covers like Rebecca Brandwine had a whole series where she would dress as the cover model on the front for her author photo on the back. Oh my God. That's amazing. I have a Rebecca Brandwine, but I don't think she did that. There's a bunch of, I think it's like five or six of them. She would dress as the heroine on the cover for her Mm. author photo. Incredible. Think about the logistical coordination for that. Like, first of all, you have to be at a certain level in the publishing house where they're willing to put up with that from you. (laughs) Or that you're able to demand that. I also love the confidence that that suggests about this. I'm like, everything about this is like goals. Yeah. Rebecca Brandewine was like, I'm dressing as the heroine. You're going to tell me what to wear and I'm going to go get it. And then we're going to do a photo shoot and I'm going to look like the heroine on the back of my book. Never mind the incredible amount of of unpacking that you can do with the author dressing as the heroine that she created on the front cover, on the back cover. Like there's a whole, that's a whole lot to unpack there, but it's so amazing. That's yeah. so good. I am Isabeau. I too am based in Chicago. I'm the other half of Womance. I recently rescued an alley cat and have been reading romance since I was 13. Ooh, congratulations on your cat. Thank you. Uh, it was it was tough. Uh, she went into heat about 10 days after we got her and uh, I'd never experienced a cat in heat before. But now I understand in romance novels when people talk about like wanting to crawl out of your skin, you're so horny. I experienced that in the feline form for weeks on end before I could get her fixed because everybody got a cat in Chicago at the same time. And like the vets were all booked doing spays and neuters. And so yep. it's like, and it's loud, oh, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> So congratulations on three years of your podcast, y'all. Oh, thank Thank you you so much. Can you believe that it's been three years? Does it feel like you've just been doing this forever? It feels like I've been doing it for five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I had that feeling too. Like I'll look at at a back episode and be like, when did I talk to, oh my God, I talked to that person in like 2016? I don't even remember 2016. What? Yeah. It's a foreign short at this point. Yeah, it it feels very short. And like romance has changed so much in the time that we've been active in this community. It's been wild. Oh, yeah. Listen, if you were going to pick a three year span to be like, let's do a romance podcast. You picked the three years with the most stuff. Goodness gracious. It was kismet, I guess. It was a lot, right? It was so much. In your three years of podcasting, do you have like favorite parts of podcasting? Do you have things that you're like, this is my favorite element of this? That's a great question. 
honestly, my favorite part is uh, talking to Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> after three years, like that's such a good space to be that we still so much enjoy one another and are learning from each other and like push each other in such a particular way. I like interacting with communities. I think one of the nicest things about podcasting is when you'll get uh, like a fan email. A person in the Netherlands recently emailed us and told us how our podcast had changed <laughs> the way that they're consuming media. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else. Like that's it. Like, that's, that's incredible. That. Uh, it was. Yeah. It's overwhelming to think. I, for me, it's the same thing. My favorite part is still just talking about books with Isabeau. I love getting email from people who tell me what they're doing while they listen. Like, I just love, like, I clean, I clean my house. I, one person emailed me and said, I save your podcast for the weekend when I'm cleaning. And I'm always like, oh, I'm really happy to keep you company. Right. And I think that one thing people who don't necessarily do podcasting don't recognize is how intimate voice is, mm -hmm. especially because, I mean, when I'm listening, I'm wearing earbuds. So it's just me hearing this. It's very intimate. So those people's voices are going right into my brain. So if you think about it or don't think about it, because it'll make you like, It'll make your head explode. Your voice is going into so many people's heads, but it's also a tremendously generous thing that you do because you're sharing your friendship with so many people. And that's such a lovely thing to do. Oh, that's such so a nice, nice idea. Thank it you. So, it's so true. It, it really is. You're letting people be part of your friendship. It's so great. Well, we're happy to have uh, more people on the good ship friend with us. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Always. Because you've... I feel like you've done it all, like media wise, talking about romance. And I'm curious, what are like the differences between the different mediums, like writing the blog and writing reviews and talking about them and having conversations via the podcast and all of the other big work you do in romance? writing a book <laughs> what are kind of like the differences and like what's the what do you think is like the meaningful part of each of those whenever it comes to discussing romance specifically the weird thing about the books is that the first book was i'm bad at years but i want to say it was 2007 so the website started in 2005 and the first book came out in 2007 mm -hmm. and me being the most naive person didn't realize that our publishing a book made the website more legitimate, even though the website was two years old. And if you printed it out, it would be taller than me at that point. Mm -hmm. The book is what made it legit. And I was like, wait, yeah. really? That's how that works? Writing the book was like writing a blog post that I couldn't publish for a year and a half. <laughs> really hard. <laughs> so I'm real quick with a blog post, but the book was like, I can't finish this thing. Oh my God, it's not done. So the the books are, are almost like things that I see as next to the website. The website and the community is the main focus of what I do. The website has a, has a mission statement, which I made up like t after it was 10 years old. As I realized I needed one and then I figured out what it was that I'd been doing for 10 years. Mission statements are really easy to come up with retroactively. First of all, I learned mm -hmm. that. But yeah. the, the mission of the site is to unite romance readers with one another and with the books they want to read. So if anything that okay. I want to do fits into that mission statement, then okay. And there's so many different ways that you can make that happen. What I mostly want and what I wanted from the beginning was to have a place for romance readers to come and talk about books because, you know, back in 2005, it was a mm -hmm. completely different online community. It was a completely different world of blogging. I mean, blogging software was still new and there was more than one kind of blogging software. It was kind of amazing. 
that was a time when you still didn't necessarily feel comfortable being like, yeah, I read romance and I want to talk about it. There weren't that Mm -hmm. many, there weren't that many places. Everything that I'm doing fits into that mission statement and is built on the foundation of the, of the site. So the podcast is part of the site and the books are part of the site, but the site is sort of the centerpiece of it. That's probably the part that I find the most meaningful, that there are still people coming to the website. There are still people finding us and going, oh my gosh, this is so great. I have books to read. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, having someone say, you you changed what I consume. Like yeah. that's so incredible. And also like a really big responsibility. <laughs> yeah, We're just like, that's a fluke movie. <laughs> it happened one time. <laughs> no, it'll keep happening though. It'll keep happening yeah. because if you're willing to talk honestly and, and constructively about the things that you love, especially if they're things that people don't take seriously outside of mm-hmm. your community, there's always going to be more people who are like, oh, someone who thinks about this like I do, which is enormously comforting, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I hope that answers your question. It does. And I, I really, lo- yeah, I think the sense of community around any kind of genre is both incredibly like buoying, right? To yeah. find people who feel the same way you do. Yeah. I have this theory that everything's language. And when you mm-hmm. speak the language of a genre, mm-hmm. like if I come up to you and I talk about tropes, you're going to know what I'm talking about. When you have that language in common with someone else, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Which is part of what podcasting is, right? Like we get to develop this language about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So we read a book. Mm-hmm. Yes. I cannot wait to talk about this book with y'all. How would you best describe this book? If you had to summarize it creatively, mm-hmm. how would you summarize this book? Memory loss, South Africa, and two beautiful dummies working their way towards one another. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, okay. It's like heartbeat braves mm-hmm. meets office hours. So it's like two niche <laughs> books that we've read. Um, it like, so office hours by Kat Jackson and uh, heartbeat braves by Pamela Sanderson. And it's like heartbeat braves because it's like semi workplace it's kind of toying with the idea of a professional hierarchy and a personal hierarchy. And then it's like office hours because of those same things. (laughs) Good one. There we go. (laughs) So I would overlap a little bit with you, Isabeau. I would say South Africa, personal and professional affluence and power Mm -hmm. structures, Morgan. And holy crap, people use your words. (laughs) people use your words (laughs) i too found myself in that position where i was like if you guys were just talk about it though like (laughs) this would be solved you gooses (laughs) and yet even though i was getting very frustrated with each of these characters i still wanted them to get together like come on come on just just kiss yes oh man the kiss tension i like I was waiting for the beat to drop on that one. For significant so kiss tension. Might have to add that to the description. Kiss tension forever. Forever. And, for days. And, and no, no sexy times. Mm-mm. I didn't expect them. I mean, I was like, all right, at some point, maybe they'll go to Bone Town. And the longer it went on, I'm like, I don't think these people are going to go to Bone Town on the page. And that's okay. Yeah. So we've been doing a series on old category romance. Yes. That's one of the reasons I picked this to, to sort of <laughs> adjacent your, your, your older category, because this is a brand new category. 
And like, if you would have asked me prior to this, and also this is like kind of a, a personal hang up of my, like, I'm still trying to understand myself and forgive myself, but also we read an Amish romance and it also made me have this realization where like steam isn't actually that important to me. And I would have been like, Oh, I'm only interested in sex on page and my romances. Thank you very much. But I've actually like looked back on what I've really enjoyed and uh, I think steam has very little to do with it for me. And this category series that we've been doing and reading this book, especially at the end of that kind of journey has solidified for me that like what I'm actually looking for isn't, you know, the steam of sex on page. It's that like tingly feeling of, uh, good book will they, won't they? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like when they hit you right in the chest, like right yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I can hear, hear the logo of my shirt. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's exactly what it feels like. Tackles. I love that. I know exactly what you mean. I often feel the same way. I think it was author Carly Bloom who, who was, I was asking her about writing comedic sex scenes. Like she has a scene where um, the hero and heroine are, are, are climbing up into a loft and the hero bangs his head on the roof of the loft because she's really short and lives in this little loft thing. And he's this really big, tall guy and he almost concusses himself as they're trying to go to bone town. And it's really funny. And she said, well, I kind of have to go for funny because it's not like I'm going to invent a new sex. <laughs> it's not That's like there's so a new sex that someone is waiting to invent in the course of a book. Like there's not a new sex. So having read as many sex scenes as I have, I completely understand that what you want is that emotional tension and intimacy, not necessarily the physical intimacy, but if the physical intimacy comes with the chest tingles, I am so excited. Yeah. Me too. And I think one of the things that this project has also thrown in sharp relief for me is like the book tingle is really important. And if you are really good at writing a sex scene, by all means do it. But if you aren't and you're not comfortable writing a corporeal person boning another corporeal person, like if I have to spend too much time figuring out where someone else's leg is in relation to like <laughs> the setting that you put them in, like if I have to be thinking about the physics of it, oh, I'm man. so thrown out and I'm just like, no, thank you. No, thank you. It would have well, been better if it had been fade to black. Thing about Tingly takes me back to your guys' point of like, can these kids get it together? I think that's where so much of my tingles come from because I'm like that little bit of like anxiety and like frustration. Yeah. It's a really great way to turn up the volume on like cute stuff. Oh yeah. Internal conflict like that is, is for me a great source of the, the chest tingles that I love so much with this book. If you like, if I sit down and I write the issues on either side, like Tyler's issues and Brooke's issues, it's a list it's a significant list. Amnesia is on the list. Short-term amnesia. Love yeah. It doesn't come with any of the yucky other side effects of full amnesia, like loss of bladder control and, and inability to speak and long, long, long periods of uh, um, occupational therapy, relearning how to tie your shoes, like all that other part. We don't worry about that. It's just mm -mm. this little period of time that she doesn't remember because of trauma, which is a totally understandable, normal trauma response. Yeah. Side note. I loved the very, very casual acceptance of therapy in this book. Yes. I loved that part. Yeah. She makes that great joke. She's like, I'm a widow. Going to therapy is like going to the spa. I highlighted yeah. the fuck out of that. Yes. <laughs> I have a whole list of favorite things that she said. I think Brooke was my favorite character in this book. Yeah. 
yeah, she has a, a real sense of she adds a real sense of levity through her dialogue to these like very heavy issues yeah. because she's so self-accepting of what she's going through. Yeah. Even though and even self-accepting of the part that like she's not self-accepting totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a, it was a way more cathartic read than I was expecting. This was very emotionally cathartic. This was this was a cathartic sort of semi ugly cry book. Yeah, yeah. So in the setup, just to recap for the people who will be listening, Brooke is a <laughs> widow, and Tyler is taking on housekeeping of her home when she had hired his sister whose child has chicken pox. And then they all found out that they weren't vaccinated. So they all had to get their chicken pox vaccine and she has to stay home to take care of her kid. So he agrees to be her, be the heroine Brooks temporary housekeeper. And he shows up and realizes that he met her. Was it five years before? Mm-hmm. Yes. And she is either pretending like she doesn't remember him or she doesn't remember him and he cannot figure out what's going on. But he apparently has been carrying a, you know, a yay big torch for her little torch not like like a lego torch (laughs) yeah like she this mystery woman he spent a week of dinners with they never exchanged last names is the woman that he's comparing every woman he dates to in the interim five years so like (laughs) little lego torch torch. yeah (laughs) great angst it's not angst that's rooted in the actual tragedy Mm -hmm. because brooke is a widow and I won't spoil the the setup of their initial meeting, but the book could very easily have been structured around him at the end of that week going, I must know who she is. And the mm-hmm. angst could be all the immediate of the I've been hang- having this wonderful dinner week with this woman and I must know who she is. And what actually happens is she disappears. And then five years later, she ends up with him as her housekeeper and pseudo dog trainer. I want to talk about the dog stuff. I, but one of the things I really like is that the time frame that they don't see each other is between ages 25 and 30. Yeah. And I think giving people time and giving people space to be ready for something is such a theme in this story. Oh, you're that is, so right. But I love the fact that there's like this five year gap. And I think from 25 to 30 is such a significant time in any person's oh, yeah. life as far as yeah. like, I think that's when you actually grow up. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, if you think about the amount of pressure that you're on between 20 and 30 with the expectations, you're going to graduate college, you're going to get your job, you're going to figure out your career, you're going to figure out your partnerships, you're going to, you know, be married or possibly partnered and possibly have offspring by the time you're 30. And it's like, that's so right. Like between 20 and 30, you're under all this pressure to have things figured out and to be like, this is the rest of my life. And then I think once you kind of get to 30, I just turned 30. So I can speak with a lot of authority on this. I think like once you get to your 30s, you kind of are able to accept what you don't know. Oh, yeah. Brooke and Tyler both have to level up mm-hmm. and let go of a lot of the baggage of their past 10 years. She mm-hmm. has to let herself move on from her from the end of her marriage brought about by her husband's death. Mm-hmm. And he has to move on from the expectations that he's placed on himself to to care for his sister Mm-hmm. and to take responsibility for all of her problems. One of the other things about this moment that they're meeting is that they're both like have professional opportunities yes. and she's launching this really important app. It's her third app in five years. He uh, has just been approached by a British company to expand his own because of course, Tyler is our titular CEO from yes. the title. <laughs> 
And he's got this awesome company that is geared towards older students who are needing to learn online at their own pace. And like this British company has been like, hey, come to London. Like, let's talk about expansion. And he has this real fear of leaving. And yeah, both of them are at this like amazing moment of churn. It's like an exciting time to meet somebody, but also like everything feels kind of up in the air for Mm -hmm. both of them in ways that makes them very vulnerable and defensive, which is great for emotional tension. Oh, it really is. They both have these stories they're telling themselves about themselves and they have to let that go in order to have a life, basically. Yes. Because our our heroine thinks of herself as like an aloof widow, like an emotionally <laughs> controlled. And he thinks of himself as like the good guy who's mm-hmm. not like everything he does is in opposition to his father and what his father did. And so he has to come to terms with the fact that by being oppositional to his dad, he's in fact letting his dad control his life from like the distance of time and and space. And the minute that anything is similar to a circumstance that his dad was in, he must reject it, even though it's something he really wants, because Mm -hmm. if it's what his dad did, then he can't do that because obviously that was the worst choice ever because it harmed everyone he loved. Your dad made his choices for his reasons. Yeah. Um, And it's not so, so superficial. And just because the opportunity looks similar, doesn't mean that you and he are the same because you and he are already very different. You just, like you said, because you're living your life in opposition, you don't see how different you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was a lot of ruminating on the part of both (laughs) characters. They were in their heads a lot. They're both very deep thinkers. They had so much that they had thinky thoughts (laughs) lots of thinky thoughts going on here lots of thinky thoughts lots of thinky thoughts and not enough using their words with their mouths but lots of using their words in their heads and also like ascribing thinky thoughts to others like there are so many times where he's like i saw the thought in her eye and then like we we hop into her head and she's thinking something similar but not exactly what he was thinking and so then you have this like slight misalignment that Mm -hmm. only gets bigger as like the chapter goes on and then it's like this is what comes from ascribing feelings and thoughts that haven't been articulated to someone else that you don't live inside of yep and it, and that echoes what you said earlier about the stories that they're telling about themselves. They mm-hmm. start telling stories about the other person. They yes. come up with a narrative about that other person based on what they witness of their behavior. So mm-hmm. Brooke will come up with a whole narrative about Tyler that may be anchored in a tiny amount of truth, but then she just spins it into a direction. And he's like, what are you even talking about? That is not what I meant. Yeah. But they don't ever have the clarity conversations until the very end. Mm -hmm. That was very frustrating for me because I was like, you are both incredibly smart people. You have clearly done a lot of interior work. Brooke talks about her therapy and her her, her psychotherapist after being widowed. And the line about being a widow and having therapy, like going to the spa was just chef's kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Like you have all of this internal work. What what part of dialogue did you guys miss? Come on now. The yeah. dog served a lot of dialogue purpose in this book. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Brooke has taken on this dog, I think from her brother. Mm-hmm. Her brother keep- gifted her mochi. Yep. Mochi, a dog. Um, but she has this idea that like the dog doesn't like her. <laughs> and the dog is like, I adore everything about you. You are the most wonderful human. Like the dog's behavior is so clearly utter adoration. I, I know. And like talk about projecting. Like she's emotionally aloof. So she's like, 
this dog is emotionally aloof to me. That's like, it's a, it's a dog. It's really not. No, that's a cat. What you're saying is yeah. yeah. they are emotionally aloof. Yeah. Your cat, you've really got to earn it. But yeah. a dog, no. free, freewheeling uh, with affection. And she... Uh, and her experience with the hero, he shows up in her life. He too is a dog owner. Uh, and, and like he, a dog whisperer too, right? Oh, wow. Very Caesar Milan vibes, big time. <laughs> oh yeah. Time. He just, he, be the pack leader. He understands dogs. Right. It's because when, he has such command and such authority and he doesn't ask, voice. he tells. Right. And I think like through the dog, like if you're looking for like a CEO book, as I think we understand it today, all of that's going to come through in his interaction with dogs, as opposed to like his actual professional life, because. And I could take it there. If you're an overbearing shit being to the people you work with, I'm not interested. You're a butt. But if you're, if you're going to be in command of dogs, that's kind of sometimes what dogs need. They need to know who's the boss because if they're not, then they feel insecure. Yeah. Yeah. And they act out. Yeah. That is, yeah, it is like so much more acceptable for me to see this kind of like overbearing behavior. So I was truly surprised by like the title of this book set me up for something. And then like it, you know, exceeded my expectations by a ton. And I was like, oh, this is so great. Yep. I love how the concept when you say like a CEO contemporary romance, a lot of that is subverted. Mm-hmm. A yes. lot of that is is completely subverted and served up in a reverse almost. Mm-hmm. What, so can I ask you a question with your institutional knowledge, Sarah, because I've sure. been dying to ask. So this book, I think you're exactly right, subverts the title. And I wonder, is that because, is that like an intentional move on the author's part? Or did someone assign this kind of title to the author? Because we are in the category. Yes. Category. Okay. So I'm not. It's hard to know unless the author says, like sometimes you'll talk to an author and they'll be like, and they kept my title. That's very rare. A lot of Mm. times books get retitled and Harlequin in particular, of course, uses hook words. So if you, you know, you see CEO, billionaire, tycoon is another Mm -hmm. big one. All of these hook words are telling you at a glance, especially if you're very fluent in category language, they're telling you at a glance what kind of story this is. So I don't know if the title is something that the author came up with or if it's something that Harlequin came up with, but it's a pretty good fit. It still sends the signal of this is a CEO contemporary with business people who have money. And that's all that's all true. But related to the part about the CEO and the signals that are sent by the CEO, one thing I appreciated so much about this book was the way that affluence was expressed. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I'm super powerful and I have a staff. I think there are are like two occasions where they have a car service at any other time they're driving. But the affluence is expressed in very subtle ways. Tyler wants to pay for things for his family. Mm-hmm. and can't because his sister won't let him like he mm-hmm. doesn't she doesn't even like it when he tries to buy her groceries mm-hmm. and Brooke is hiring a housekeeper because she is about to go to launch and she was really she was really bothered that the dirty dishes from the weekend were still in the sink on Thursday mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like ma'am I did not I did not appreciate being called out that way I know I was like oh yeah it's so hard for you because you're like a really high powered person you know some of us low powered people can't get to the dishes either oh yeah Yeah. the hero of my house is the dishwasher oh 
like it's the, it's the most important appliance in the house at this point, like right after the shower and the toilet and the fridge, I do have teenagers, but she let's go ahead and rank all of our appliances. Right? <laughs> Dishwashers like top three easily, but she hires a housekeeper temporarily because she's got this lunch and she's just never home. And then there's the dog and she needs help and she hires help, which I think is mm-hmm. a really big thing. It's her hiring help. It's not arriving at the story and he's already got a whole system of people who work for him in place. That's not even, he doesn't even have a secretary that I saw. Mm-mm. Like yeah, we only, no. we meet Brooke's boss, who's this incredibly supportive woman, but we don't see any assistance here. And then mm. her affluence is the property that she Mm -hmm. has and the garden that she has. And she has this massive oasis in South Africa in, in Cape town, but the wealth is in the the land and in the garden and in the development of this beautiful outdoor outdoor landscape. Mm -hmm. It's not jewelry and cars and travel and food. It's all are related to their homes. And I love how the garden is such a centerpiece. And like, besides the kitchen, the, kind of only other part of the house that we see. Yeah. And it's then at the end of, towards the end of the book, we discovered that her husband was a landscape architect and that that buying the house was entirely based on the garden and that he created this space for her. Mm -hmm. And so you think about in terms of like, her ability to move on air quotes um, and she, and she and the hero are constantly surrounded not to his knowledge, but very much to her knowledge by the work and the labor and the love of her deceased husband. Yeah. I think that's and his big, passion. Right. His passion. And in the same way that uh, Tyler creates himself in opposition to his bad dad, that she's creating her life in relation to her husband's death. And she carries his dreams that he didn't get to fulfill forward into her lived life. And so Morgan, as you point out, like this garden is the dream that Mm -hmm. her husband had and she feels really responsible for it, but it also functions as a stumbling block into like moving forward. Cause it's hard to move forward when you're living in someone else's dreams that Mm -hmm. you yourself pulled into being Mm -hmm. as a responsibility to this person that you loved very much. And you're right. Like, you know, Tyler's just stumbling around that kitchen and that garden into her ghosts. Um, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't know it because she doesn't tell him. Um, and he has to do some sleuthing and she has to do some deep internal thoughts about like what being okay with moving on is going to look like. And I thought that was a really beautiful way of, again, creating this tension between the two of them. Would you not please? That's unkind. Thank you. No, thank you though. Hi cute. Hi cute kitty. (laughs) Like loves to be here when I'm on. Okay. Okay. Well, wait, what's the cat's name? This is Gina. Hi Gina. She's like, who said my name? How dare you speak to me? She's so beautiful. How dare you speak to me? I am am outraged. She is quite a handful sometimes, but she's a good kid. What a nice Uh, girl. Yeah. What was I saying? Yeah, just like he's bumping around in these ghosts that she's created and pulled forward from. That's uh, a really good way of putting it, too, because there's also the ghost of their former interaction that she doesn't remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This book really managed to catch me on all of my snark. Like I was at first, I was like, oh, she, I was originally like, oh, okay. So she's the CEO. Is this even really like subversive if we're just making the lady, the CEO? And then it was like, oh no, he is the CEO. 
well, why is he pretending to be a housekeeper? Can't he take care of his nephew? And then it was like, he didn't get a chicken pox vaccine. And I was like, oh, it like caught me out at every turn. Yep. But one of the turns that caught me out on was he was describing his memories of the thing. And he was like, I thought we had a true friendship that might develop into something more. And I was like, well, is that a friendship? Like if you're trying to like get it in the whole time you guys are at dinner? I don't think so. Like that doesn't have the other person's best interest at heart like you have no way of knowing if that person would enjoy love making with you that much especially these two they don't really talk good (laughs) yeah exactly communication is not their forte and then tor when he finally does the reveal he was like you know this was really hard for me and she's like oh because your like ego made you think that you were so important how could i have forgotten you and i was like oh The book said the thing that I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah, she calls him on his bullshit to a marvelous degree. But that was the most satisfying point at which this book caught me out on my assumptions and my attempts to be like smarter (laughs) text. Yeah, this was a book that I felt like I couldn't anticipate, even as it like begged me to anticipate it. And I think like that's that was also part of the thing that was incredibly pleasurable about reading this book um because morgan i had the exact same experience i was like oh you think you're out oh okay (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) sorry i spoke too soon i should have i should have read it yep (laughs) what did you think of the setting I loved it. I want to read way more books about uh, Cape Town and South Africa. I like it's so beautiful. And like they have this whole scene in the like by the water. And then they have the scene over to the uh, Table Rock Mountain. And, you know, and they go to a vineyard. I was like, this is like South Africa setting bingo vineyard mountain. Yeah. Beach. Done. (laughs) I know. It's like, this is great. All the highlights. It's like loved it. Like it really that perfect covid reading you know it felt like a travel log virtual travel right Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and it was just enough of that um isabel and i read a book set in chicago and it was like chicago chicago chicagoing across chicago and it became like so like frustrating and of course like when you put that much detail into something that's real and lived by other people you're gonna disappoint them and frustrate them and (laughs) Like, like, I like think what, you someone... don't want to know what the L smells like in a book, <laughs> especially no, if you get that smell did. wrong. OK, like yeah. <laughs> don't don't come for the L unless you come correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just got new trains. I haven't ridden on one yet. And I, every time one pull, one of the old crusty ones pulls into the station, I feel Damn. personally slighted. <laughs> you know how Chicago got founded. Have you heard this joke? No. A bunch of people in New York were like, wow, I am really enjoying the crowds and the crime, but it is just not cold enough. Let's go to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, because it'll kill you the cold. <laughs> and then if you survive the cold, then the summer will kill you. It's true. Oh, it's so man. true. Oh, my God. It's pretty hot. <laughs> that's a good joke. That's, that's, that's a quality Chicago and joke. Quality that Chicago is my favorite one. joke. It's a really good one. It's really good. But what was great about this book is like, I didn't feel overwhelmed by the South Africa no. Cape Townness of it. It felt like just enough set dressing where I could put mm. my characters into place and see them interact without being like burdened by place. Yes. There was no, as you know, Bob. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, South yeah. Africa is known That's for exactly its wines. It. <laughs> no, right. we're going to go to a vineyard because they're all over the friggin' place. Right. Absolutely. I loved that. I thought it was great. So did you have a favorite line in this book? I highlighted a couple of lines that I absolutely loved. One of my favorites was early on, she is talking to Tyler using her words. And she (laughs) says, it was a fond smile this time, a gooey smile. She hated his range. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's a great line. That was a really good one. I want to call out a time where he gets her, he's taking her to this cocktail party for this company that's courting him. Oh, right. Yeah. To buy out his, yeah. And he picks out her outfit for her. He buys it for her and lays it out, which she had just been thinking very anxiously about what she was going to wear to this event because it had been so long since she had gone to something like this. And then that's where like the, the like wealth is like very pleasurable to me is the idea of someone like choosing your outfit for you. So you don't have to overthink it. Don't stress about this. All you got to do is your hair, shoes and dress done. Yeah. That's yeah. This book really does that so well thinking about like the true benefit of money, which is like, if you have a problem, you can just buy it away. Yep. And lasagna. Um, Don't forget this guy makes her lasagna too. Lasagna and wardrobe and shoes and dog training. And cleans the house. And cleans the house. Oh yeah. Uh, one point I commented, this must be how men feel in strip clubs where she's like <laughs> describing him, like being really good at his job and like drying her dishes. I was like, this must be it. God, this dial back it. the porn there. Yeah. I know, right. Excuse me. But I really love she um, gets kind of bashful and she's not doing a great job of complimenting him. And so she's like, you look like you work out a lot. And he's like, what does that mean? And she's like, well, I just mean you look good. And he's like, well, in that case, I would say you also look like you work out a lot. She's like, I obviously don't. This gold dress doesn't hide a lot. And he said, it didn't, did it? He gave her a sly look. It's almost as if someone bought that, bought it with that very thing in mind. And I think sometimes when we have like a voluptuous, a curvy, your heroine, everything has to be like, you're beautiful. And you're fat. Like it has to be like, they have to make a thing about the weight. And what I like is that he doesn't, he just makes a little joke about it and then makes it clear that it's like something he likes her body Yeah, and doesn't give it like any like special caveat or extra description yeah. that I think would like weigh it down and like, Oh, so you, you're doing me a favor or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he's neutral about, there's no value assigned. It's very neutral. It's like, I like the way you look full stop. Yeah. And like, I'm not hung up on it so I can make jokes about it as well and be like, oh, you look like you also work out a lot, you know? And like, it doesn't have to become this like really fraught experience between the two of them. He's super neutral about it. Like, this is how you look and it works for me. Awesome. Yeah. It works so well that I bought you a skimpy dress. Although... Let's be real. The fantasy of a man being able to navigate dress sizes for women when every company has a different that right there is fantasy. That and the that is just utter utter fantasy. I mean, I'm fine with it. I'm totally here for it. Is that it's completely unrealistic? Yeah, this guy picked out a dress in the right size. That's that's your unrealistic expectations right there. (laughs) Exactly. Oh no, they caught us. It's true. I love that exchange because she is being quite literal and she like calls him out when he says, you know, well, you must work out too. And she's like, you know, my schedule. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I hired a housekeeper. What makes you think there's time for Peloton in there? 
Exactly. And I love how like lived in this book then feels, right? Like, cause that's one of those details where it's like, I know that. And then it's like a deadpan joke between the two of them. And you're so right to say like, he's, he's value neutral at her body. It works for him. And like, that's all he needs to say about it or think about it. And that's basically mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But like, it's those moments where she's like, no, and you know that. And it's like all of these weird, like tabletop moments that feel, yeah, just like incredibly lived in. Yeah. One, I work too much for a lot. Two, that gold dress didn't hide much. I just love it. Oh, I yeah. love his reaction. Perfect. It's just beautiful. Like you said, it feels very lived in. These characters are not introducing themselves to the reader. They are existing in the book and you are, you you go along and you catch up very quickly. Yeah. Yes. The other description I loved was the at the end when she's going through the emotional deconstruction of her own narrative, confronting that she has feelings for him and that it's a really awkward time because he has been courted to go to the UK, which I looked up is like an 11 hour direct flight. Is he like you can Whoa. visit? I was like, bro, it's that's the whole fat side of the earth that you're going around. Like you got to go around the equator. There's no shortcut there. The long flight. Oh she describes the idea that she had just been stacking her emotions neatly and this was an earthquake that brought them all crashing. And I was like, that is a really good way to describe that. Like you think you're managing your emotions. You're just actually putting them in very neat container store boxes and they don't mm-hmm. stay there. They yeah. come back out. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't actually done the work to like stabilize what's going on. No, you've, you've just, just packaged them it. well. Yeah, you packaged them very well. But, you know, the problem with feelings is when you push them into a drawer, they go in the drawer and they do push-ups and then they go back out. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly right. Oh yep. my gosh, yes. Yeah. And, and like that both of them were doing that. Like yeah. she does such a good job of explaining that for her. But the fact that he's like, you should come with me. You should visit. And it's like, whoa, we've literally kissed twice. Um, I've got a lot of stuff going on here, not the least of which is my profession. You're asking me to start over in a new country with you. And what happens when you're done there? Like anything that I set up there, I would have to leave again. And I I loved her for saying that. And I was like, there is no HEA with her not doing her job. There is no HEA without her being fulfilled in this way too. And the Mm -hmm. fact that he would ask so quickly and like kind of blase where he's like, if we can't be together physically, then like, we're not going to be together at all. I'm so scared because I don't know how to make this choice because my dad was a bad dad. And then she's like, whoa, no, that right there, sir, is a you problem. Exactly. That is not a me problem. Oh, <laughs> uh, I well, like, oh, so, mm, so that kind of shook loose for me. This idea that our hero is very much living in the, I don't know, like an archetypal idea of what a romance novel is, right? He's like, we saw each other for five years and now we're seeing each other again. Is this fate? She doesn't remember me. Does it mean she doesn't love me? And like, he's like, we're together now. We've only kissed twice, but let's go to England together. And then our heroine is very much like living in the real world. She's so and practical. Having, yeah, is so practical and thoughtful and has this really like, this feels trite but very relatable person. 
perspective on what's going on in their relationship and like really grounds the story and is kind of serving almost as like a critique of this idea. Like there's something about this book that feels meta because it is catching us out on every assumption we make and, and surprising us. And I think because there is something as melodramatic as short-term memory loss as a plot point um, that I, it almost feels and it, like commentary. Is it, is it commentary or is it just like an evolution and like very good storytelling? It, is it both? Could be both. Both works. Yeah. Why not both? It's a real pleasure to read though. It was, it was such a pleasure. And like, even in that like moment, cause I would call that like the whiff of death moment when he's like, come to England. And she's like, I can't. And he's like, all right, I'm leaving. And because there is no like whiff of death where like the heroine or the hero is in mortal danger, which like totally fine. Cause we do have the amnesia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, we fast forward two months and he's in dreary old London moping around, like being sad. And it's just like, I loved that. And I think you're so right. He's like this strung out romance hero who has been like titular good guy bad dad even he has a bad dad he loves his sister he's a good father figure to his nephew like he's an alpha with the dogs right but not in the boardroom (laughs) because he cares about his employees and like being a good person and he thinks about what being a good person is in action like he's just checking all the boxes and his fear and his like sentimentality and his like blown up romance hero thing really like shits the bed (laughs) like he goes to England without her which is the thing the only thing that could have happened in this book (laughs) it's just like sad in London and I was like that's great this is this is exactly what I wanted from that peak of this like storyline and like I love that this is the denouement that I now have to work through and there's a certain degree of craniorectal impaction that he has to (laughs) to deal with Oh, yeah. But every woman in his life is like, would you please get your head out of your ass? Yes. Like (laughs) his sister doesn't want him to manage her life. And so Mm -hmm. she sets these very firm boundaries. But even when, so this is a slight spoiler, he is afraid to tell his sister about this opportunity because it would mean that he would be leaving and abandoning her, which Mm -hmm. my dude Mm-hmm. You're not like leaving the middle of the night, not telling her. And mm-hmm. she has to tell him. And then Brooke has to tell him, please remove the rest of your head from your bum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love that Brooke is willing to point out like he will do these like um, effusive, emotional, like this is how I feel with my sister because my father left and I have to be this person. Right. Our classic hero kind of monologue. Yeah. And then Brooke is like, all right. Well, that's just what you're saying. Like, do you think your sister, what, what, how would your sister describe this relationship? There are so many conversations in this book that are that gift from, um, with, with Chris Hemsworth going, really though? Really? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I like that one of the major conflicts is that they're basically interrupting each other's narratives about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her idea of what it means to grieve and like to be like a good wife. And like, she's still hung up on that idea mm-hmm. of how to properly grieve and how to properly move on. And that there's a single narrative there and that she needs to follow that line to the bitter end. Yeah, Her pragmatism and his like romance are, are very at odds. Yeah. And it causes a lot of the very essential conflicts between them. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, Sarah, when you said that they're interrupting each other's narratives, that's such exactly what's happening in this book and such a good way of describing that interaction. Because I think one of the things that's so pleasurable about romance in general and what this book is doing really well is that our hero and heroine function as spotlights for one another where it's like I see you but instead of like I see you wallflower and like I see all your value it's like I see the way in which you're telling the story which maybe like doesn't have all the (laughs) important details and like I see that you've said this thing but like I wonder how true it is and so the fact that they function as like kind of accounting for one another in this Mm. way is such a pleasurable commentary or comment on the idea of like I see you as Mm -hmm. the like move in romance and it's like often we're like oh you see the thing in me that no one else values that I really value about myself but here it's like I see you in all the ways that like you're holding yourself back and like what an important comment to make about the I see you in romance yes Mm -hmm. they are each other's uh uh acceleration but also each other's foils Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and in order to level up, to be um, ready for the kind of relationship that they're going to have, they have to, like you said, let go of that narrative and acknowledge that the other person is right about how they're holding themselves back. Very delicious, isn't it? (laughs) So good. (laughs) So is this a, uh, a woe or a no? This would be a big woe for me. I'm actually going to recommend it immediately. Well, to everyone who's listening, uh, yeah, <laughs> but have some people in my personal life as well. Yeah, this is a big woe. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. And like, what a way to cap our category uh, is series. Like, what an enjoyable way. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so pleased, especially because this is the kind of book where if you really want to share with somebody who already has a grounding of what romance does Mm -hmm. of what more it can do with those established narratives and tropes, like we're going to take these very familiar things. We've got amnesia. We've got a CEO. We got some CEO masquerading as a housekeeper for whatever reason. We got a heroine who's got uh, amnesia and some traumatic memories that she is missing. We got all of these things and we're just going to set the table with those. And the real story is going to just, blow you away what happens underneath yeah yeah I think if I could go back and redo my creative summary although I would absolutely if you enjoyed this book I would absolutely still recommend either Office Hours by Kat Jackson or uh Heartbeat Braves by Pamela Sanderson um but I think it's like it is a secret millionaire but it's not and it is a CEO book but it's not and it is like an angsty romance but it's also not Mm -hmm. yep I think it would also be an interesting plate. Like, even if you've never read romance before, I think it does a great job of showing you that it's a genre with a great deal of flexibility. Yes. And that internal conflict can create so much tension. You're exactly right. Like, set the table and everything is underneath. It was so good. Yep. There's... We're going to lure you in with amnesia and CEOs and deliver something even better. Defying your expectations. Great moment where his sister comes to visit him in London and they're having a conversation. And he says, but I can't have her because she doesn't feel the same way because we have too many obstacles in the way of being happy together. And I was like, look at that perfect thesis for like 
all romance novels ever. And then his sister comes back at him and says, seems to me that if you feel the way you do and she feels that way too, the biggest obstacle is already out of the way. The first and most logical step now would be to figure out if she thinks you're smart and funny and sweet and all those (laughs) other things. Doubtful, but you've got to try. And what a good sister. What a good sister. But I, I love that I mean, it's like, like he has this perfect thesis statement of like the central problem of all romance novels. And then she comes back at him with like, and this is like the central solution. <laughs> like this is the really denouement though? and the denouement. <laughs> really? Really? You can't be together? Really? Yeah. Are you sure? You talk to her like, about you really? It? Yeah. Have you really checked out that whole story? You sure? Yeah. And as opposed to being like, so obviously the solution is you have to kidnap her and take her on a six month long journey on your pirate ship. Her solution is, so you should Oms. talk to her. <laughs> yeah. Use your words. Yeah. yeah. Use your words for God's sake. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I have had the best time. Thank you it was such a pleasure. It, yeah, this was absolutely wonderful. And thank you for this book and bringing it into our series. Just absolutely top notch from beginning to end. <laughs> And it's such an honor to be on like your podcast. Smart Bitches Trashy Aww. Books is like the origin of so much for both of us. And I can't believe Thank that you. to be here. So would you please talk about what's coming up on your show so people can go find you? Uh, so we are wrapping up our category is, which was an investigation of Alley books that I found on Facebook Marketplace. And we did a category from 1960, 1970, the 1970s, the 1980s, and the 1990s. Uh, what can you take from every single decade in category? Shoulder pads. <laughs> Shoulder pads, <Yeah>. smoking. <laughs> a lot of body skimming jersey. A lot of body skimming jersey. Uh, we are continuing our uh, Jane Eyre public access read along, um, which is a lot of fun. So if you've never read Jane Eyre, or if you haven't read it in a long time, we're going to are reading it out loud to one another and then commenting on whether or not the Darcy or the Rochester is the first hero of romance. The central mover. The central mover. Um, That's a big debate right there. Yeah, I mean, we're like, we're going to have a thesis after we're done reading Jane Eyre, because I think we're coming to a pretty big conclusion. Um, (laughs) Spoiler alert. If you haven't listened to our show before, we try to do a good mix of contemporary and historical. We read a lot of old stuff, um, especially from the 70s, 80s and 90s. And uh, we try to do new stuff every once in a while. So that's fun. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to Morgan and Isabeau for recording with me and for taking such a lovely dive into this book. You can find copies of Awakened by the CEO's Kiss by Therese Barry anywhere books are sold. And I will have links in the show notes as well. Never fear. I will also have links to where you can find Womance, where you can listen. But if you just search Womance in your podcast app, they will pop right up. I always end with a terrible joke. And today is no different. This one is really awful. It's a little longer, but I like it very much. All right, here we go. Serious podcaster voice. What is the difference between black-eyed peas and chickpeas? Give up? What's the difference between black-eyed peas and chickpeas? Well, black-eyed peas can sing us a song, but chickpeas can only hum us one. (laughs) Hum us one. I love a bad food pun so much. Almost one. <laughs> that book, that book, that joke is from my username is taken. And um, yeah, hummus one. 
On behalf of everyone here, we wish you an absolutely fabulous weekend filled with all the best reading. We will be back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. Almost. <laughs>